This episode of The Catalyst is brought to you by SoftChoice Now. Work securely anywhere. Now available on demand at softchoice.com forward slash now. If you've worked in the tech industry over the last 10 years, you've likely heard the term hacktivism. Hacktivism is often thought of as socially or politically motivated, but there's a whole other world of hacktivists who are laser-focused on simply taking down the other hackers. These white hat vigilantes often go by the name OPSEC groups. I'm constantly talking to cybersecurity leaders about the terrifying digital threats to our world. But for these digital heroes, their mission in life is to stay one step ahead of the bad guys and stop them in their tracks. Today, there are countless different types of hacktivist groups out there, mobilizing digital protests or just trying to thwart ongoing ransomware attacks that threaten our critical infrastructures. So who are these keyboard warriors and what does their work mean for the rest of us? I'm Erica Van Noort, and welcome back to The Catalyst by SoftChoice. I can't think of a better person to have a discussion about the world of digital good guys than Stefan Asselin. Stefan is the Senior Sales Engineer Manager for CrowdStrike Canada. Through his role, he's seen his fair share of justice being served in the cybersecurity world. Stefan joins me on the show to get a deeper look into the world of hacktivism, the battles he's fighting, and what it all means for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining me, Stefan. Thank you for having me. Well, first, I want to know more about you and your background. So what drew you to the cybersecurity space? Well, I've been, I've been doing this a while. I've actually been in, the, in this space for over 25 years. Um, I, I, I started actually by uh, following a lot of the very well-known hacker at the time, uh, whether it be Kevin Mitnick and, and others. And that kind of got me curious of, uh, of what I could do in my little, uh, my little space and my little, uh, you know, of, of the world to, to see how far I could go um, and what I could learn from a, from a hacking perspective. But as a white hat hacker, right, somebody that would actually do it for good and not, not the black hat people. So I did. I did work with a lot of the big companies. I worked for eight years at Microsoft, and then I actually started my own pen testing company, and which I I did with a few folks uh, out in Quebec. Um, and then I I joined uh, VMware, uh, where I was working and focused around endpoints and endpoint security. And then I switched to uh, to CrowdStrike about two years ago. So been doing this a while. 20 years ago, you were inspired by the superheroes of white hat hackers. I love that. So, Stefan, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> I actually did not have IT in mind, but uh, I think IT found me. But when I was 10 years old, I wanted to do uh, to be a gym ed teacher. So, I had nothing to do with computer science. Ah, okay. So, physical education teacher. Okay. What made you decide to make the switch? You know, what What actually changed my mind is the day that my dad bought a TRS-80 computer where we were actually um, buying cartridges that had programs on them, right? And I read in a magazine a way to actually hack those cartridges to be able to reprogram them. And that's where everything started. Oh, wow. I love it. Everybody has their moment. <laughs> <laughs> So with all that bad news out there about security, we're really eager to learn about hacktivism. 
Can you tell us about this phenomena, what it is, and why you think it's happening now? Honestly, activism has been around for a very long time. You know, if we go back to all the way up to the early 70s, when uh, when Steve Jobs and, and uh, Wozniak actually um, put together something and made it public where you could actually do long-distance phone calls for free, right? At the time, there was no there was no internet, right? They, so their distribution was was limited. But the whole goal was to rise up against the the big telco companies and and provide a free service, right? So, I think what made it more uh, trending in the last couple of years is the fact that we are more connected, right? We're more connected. The the media is actually publishing those those act, whether they be good or bad, of of activism. So, it's not it's not new but it's definitely trending because it's getting more exposure from the media. So what makes a good hacktivist? And do you know any other than yourself? Are they often reformed bad guys? I'm sort of thinking of the movie Catch Me If You Can, where the FBI converted him into the good guy to help them find more of the bad guys. So are they operating illegally? Well, so again, I think... What's, what's interesting about your question is what is your definition of good? We do not define in that what is good if it's legal or not, right? And, and that's where it's a, it's a very gray area because a lot of the activism uh, movement are, are working outside of the, the known laws of those different countries, right? And if you ask me, uh, um, the second part of your question was, do I know any, any good ones? Well, I know of a lot of them. Are they good or bad? I'll let you decide. But, uh, you know, a lot of the famous one was, uh, for example, WikiLeaks with Julian Assange or the anonymous group, right, which, which has been still in the press over the last couple of years. But they, they've been doing this, you know, for, for over 10 years now, right? So are some of them, though, that you consider good now? Do you think they came from sort of that bad side? Just curious. Yeah, I guess what was their their initial motivation? Um, I I couldn't say. Right, it's it's all about um, you know it's around human rights or free speech or freedom of information. Right, and and that's where that's what's driving them. Right, that's so that's what if they decide to focus on something, right, it'll be good for them. Um, is it is it good for the whole planet? It, you know, some of those actions are still to be determined. Uh, but, you know, when the anonymous group back in 2011 took down a lot of the, the dark web sites that had child pornography, that was a phenomenal movement on their part. And, and it, it helped make them famous, right? And it, it was good for them to do this. Were they motivated by something else? I don't know. But the, the end result was it took down a lot of really bad people at that time. And that was great for them to do that. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about the cat and mouse game, because the bad guys are always seeming to be one step ahead of the targets. So how do the good hackers combat this? Like, how do they come together to win? So uh, I think the everybody's actually trying to get to the next zero day, right? And, and that's, whether it be a good guy or a bad guy, everybody, everybody's looking for the next flaw or working on something they could exploit and do some monetization around it, right? So whether that, that, that drive is around a political incentive or it's around money itself, it can be depending on, on who they are, who those groups are. But a, a, a good person will potentially be able to work with the big vendors, right? The big software vendors. You can have responsible disclosures where if you actually, you are a researcher and you are doing good, so you're a white hat hacker, you can responsibly disclose a zero day to the software you actually 
hacked, right? Or, or will find a flaw in, and that's the white hat people. Whereas the black hat hackers will exploit that and will try to either get money or, or some sort of influence or retrieve IP by exploiting that flaw and not, not telling anybody, right? Not doing that disclosure that they should do for us to patch it. It's, it's interesting. You said earlier, you know, what depends on your definition of good. And it seems to be it's more about ideology versus legalities and uh, just a good example there that you've just shared. So thank you. So can you share some recent memorable examples of hacktivism, like a story about hacktivism that has inspired you? So uh, we at CrowdStrike monitor a lot of, of groups of hackers, right? And, and whether it be uh, for good or for bad, we monitor them and we track what they do. When activism is, is used, as we talked about earlier, as a good thing is when they're actually bringing down stuff that's not great for the planet. Uh, for example, there was a, a few really successful attacks uh, in Belarus and in Brazil and Argentina where those hackers groups, which I can't name, but where those hacker group actually uh, lean around attacks uh, and help bring down some corrupt governments and regimes that were very oppressive. So in those cases, and you can Google them, right? I'm not going to go into specifics, but if you Google those attacks, you'll find that they were really made public and they exposed a lot of bad people. So in those cases, I think the groups that, that were around those initiatives were, were, were doing it for for uh, the greater good. On the recent side, um, you know, not not super recent, right? But when the, the anonymous group, um, you know, raised what happened to George Floyd, uh, they helped uh, bring down their DDoS, a lot of government sites, right? They brought down a, a Minnesota website. I think it was a senator or a governor around that state. Um, so that was not super recent. I guess a few years ago, but that, I think that was one that rallied a lot of people, even people that were not super tech savvy around one one single cause, right? In that, in that case, and that's just my own perspective, they did something that was uh, for the greater good. Okay, a little transparency here. I'm well aware that cybersecurity professionals, hacktivists or not, keep echoing the same thing. Our safety really comes down to the end user. So I reached out to some of my colleagues at SoftChoice to find out how much they actually know about the digital good guys and our place in all of this. Hacktivism, as far as I know it, is pretty much what the roots of the word imply. It's using computer hacking for some sort of greater good. I first heard of hacktivism when I heard and read about anonymous WikiLeaks. Hacktivism to me is hacking and leaking information that is um, relevant to a political and social environment. Sometimes uh, trying to correct an injustice, I guess. As the term goes, it's a blend of two words, hacking and activism. And therefore, I think of it as breaking into a computer system with the purpose of accessing information that is confidential and stems from the concept of freedom of information. Do I support the use of hacktivism and its somewhat illegal strategies for some sort of greater good? Yeah, I gotta say I do. Uh, to put it in kind of geeky terms, it's sort of a chaotic good behavior. It's like a bounty hunter or someone that doesn't abide by the rules but gets stuff done. I don't support hacktivists using illegal methods because then the line between malicious behavior and hacktivism is blurred. Supporting the idea of hacktivists is very controversial. It almost seems like an ethical dilemma because how would it work if they use the same concept for going against 
uh, law, it would possibly consider criminal trespassing. Whether you're growing a business, working in IT, or supporting your company's HR strategy, one thing is for sure, the workforce is headed hybrid, and it's probably never going back. No surprise, this massive shift to remote working has been a major challenge for many businesses and organizations. To help our customers find success in their workplace model, our latest Soft Choice Now event focused on how to work securely and efficiently anywhere in the world. Just in case you weren't one of the hundreds of business leaders who attended, you're in luck. All of the content from Soft Choice Now, Work Securely Anywhere, is now streaming on demand and for free. All you have to do is visit softchoice.com forward slash now to access the event content. You'll discover how to build a new culture and processes to enable hybrid work, how to drive inclusion in the remote world, and importantly, how to maintain security and data privacy for dispersed teams, all while keeping employees connected and engaged. Discover the insights that businesses and IT leaders gain from SoftChoice Now 2021. Register right now at no cost to get immediate full access to the entire series. Start learning everything you need to know about the future of hybrid working, security, and culture. Visit softchoice.com forward slash now. So we've seen some encouraging news about OPSEC groups. So groups of cybersecurity professionals who are volunteering their time to hacktivism. So what can you tell us about these groups? Like, what are they on the lookout for? And and what kinds of people are in these groups? Are they coming from certain industries? Because I just love to learn a little bit more about their skill sets, etc. For sure. And in most cases, those groups will be uh, people that are doing hacking on the side, right? So most likely not something they do as a full-time job, but there are going to be people with experience. There are going to be people that, that know how to do some sort of hacking, whether it be a DDoS or leveraged tools. And then they're going to be focused around sharing that knowledge through uh, other groups of people. So if you, uh, whatever you, wherever you are in, in Canada or in the U.S., you can look for those groups, right? Like um, the B-Sides group, are, that's one of the ones that are uh, throughout Canada. Uh, the task group, the Toronto Area Security Clutch, that's another group that just exchange around information security and um, and find ways to uh, augment the common pool of knowledge for the greater good. So I'm thinking, so like, I, you know, it's sort of like hacktivism as a service um, on the side of your desk or a side hustle. What are some of the skills that these people are bringing to the table? Well, in a lot of cases, it'll be people that are doing this to, you know, they could be part of uh, in their real day job, they could be part of uh, blue teams or red teams, right? So they do proactive pen testing or, you know, looking for flaws within the company. So they have the skill set they do in day in, day out. And then they'll do something on the side that, first of all, doesn't conflict with what they do, uh, that don't they don't do also anything illegal from at the sense of the law, but they 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 share that knowledge that they've gained throughout the years with people that might not have as much knowledge. One of the big driving factors for me is when I, I participate in those groups and I talk to younger folks, I want to make sure that they just don't abuse tools that they don't understand, right? So that's a big risk where um, if they use tools just because those tools are free and easy to use and you can find them anywhere, they, they become script kiddies and then they do stuff that, that could have major impact that they don't realize 
how far or how devastating running those tools against some environments could be, right? So that, I think it's it's all the responsibility of the people that have more experience that have been doing this for longer to share with the younger folks, you know, why you should do this in what context and how far should you go or where should you stop yourself from doing something that would be negative. So Stefan, for those people that are listening that may not be or may be at the early stage of their security um, you know, awareness, can you just give us a little bit more definition around the reference to blue teams and red teams? Yes, for sure. So <clears throat> a, a blue team is a team that will actually be starting a, a, um, an attack or, or a scenario where they would have a bit of information within the environment. So they could be an insider group working for an organization, whether it be financial, government, whatever that is, but they do have some access. They're not starting from scratch. And the purpose of that team is to find flaws, but with, with a starting point, right? So if let's say I'm a, I'm a, I'm one part of that blue team and I'm part of the organization. I might have a list of user accounts that I can use. I might know the services that are being run. I know the email system being used. So I do have knowledge of my target and I'm actually going to be, you know, trying to go into a specific system, which the company will stay, you know, here's what I'm trying to get you to access. Can you access this? And here's where you're starting from, right? And then the comparison to a red team is I'm starting with zero knowledge, right? I, w- I could have potentially the same target, but I'm starting with no participation from the people within that organization. I want to see what would be um, the equivalent of doing this as an external hacker, for example, right? So I got zero knowledge. I'm starting from scratch. My objective might be the same. I might be trying to reach some sort of infrastructure server within the organization, but I don't have... Um, any of that information, right? I don't have those usernames. I don't have those IP addresses. I don't know what system they're using, right? So that's that's part of the differences. We hear a lot about the bad actors out there. So at the end of the day, you know, how do we fight against it? Like, what are the things? Is Does it come down to us being stronger with our, you know, our training within organizations to ensure that people change their passwords and they're not opening phishing emails, those sorts of things? Like, what are, what are we doing and what can, what can we do to help? I think uh, what we need to, um, to focus and to strive for is to always have a security first mindset. It's uh, as you mentioned, right? Like a lot of the the first step or the first exploits will be through something benign as a phishing email or a spear phishing email. And people are just not paying attention. Uh, they're distracted or they don't have the knowledge to defend themselves against this. And they just, they take for granted that what they're receiving is legit and that, that they're not going to get hurt by it, right? So it's, it's to ever stay vigilant, right? So if you think about it in a in a society and, and, you know, help the people that don't have the knowledge, right? Educate your, for your kids, educate older folks. Like I, I still support my, uh, my, my mom and dad, right? They, they, that generation that that's a bit older is maybe too trusting as it stands to what they're receiving from the internet. And then sometimes they, without knowingly what they're doing, they'll click on links that they shouldn't click. And it's when they get, they get hacked, right? And the bad people don't, don't have any morale, so they they won't care who they're targeting, whether it be the uh, the old folks or the kids. They they're just gonna do bad stuff. So if we if we as a society help 
and educate everybody around us to ever stay vigilant, I think we'll be able to to come up ahead. I'm smiling as you share about supporting your parents. I think I have a conversation with my mother at least twice a week when she's showing me all the emails she hasn't opened because she's afraid to based on all of the conversations I've had with her over the past years. (laughs) (laughs) So she's gone the other way. She's ultra conservative. Okay. So as a cybersecurity professional, how do you personally feel about the rogue hacktivists out there? The digital vigilantes that you refer to. So are you encouraged or inspired by them? Or do you wish they'd just leave some of those things alone and let them to the professionals like yourselves and some of these OPSEC groups? I wish they, uh, you know, and that's that's the what I wish for and what I think is, is happening, right? I wish they would leave it to the professionals. Will it change? I don't think so because people have easily access to tools that they don't always, they don't always understand, right? So under, I get the intent. I get what a lot of people are trying to do when they want to rise up against the cause that they feel is unjust. They don't realize how negative an impact it can have beyond what they feel they'll they'll achieve, right? Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you shared earlier, which is to say, you know, if you have these powerful tools, you need to have the education and the understanding so you're not actually abusing them because they could, in some cases, do more damage than good. I had a boss, you know, I would say, 20 years ago that, that always used to tell me, you know, a fool with a tool is still a fool. <laughs> I think I've heard that one before, but it's still a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, how is all of this impacting you, Stefan, the regular everyday man? We hear a lot about cybersecurity professionals having trouble sleeping at night, but surely the notion of hacktivism is at least a little comforting, is it? Uh, I would say the verdict is still out on that one. Um, at least for me, as a security professional, I've seen good and bad examples, and uh, I would I can't say it's if what the trend will be one way or the other. I know what will make the news because uh, you know whatever is a big boom will actually make some ink uh, flow, but. It, will it ever be used just for good? No. Would it always ever be used just for bad? No. Right. So it it'll be a mix, and I hope at least that uh, at least will trend in the right direction in the future. Okay. So does that mean you actually sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> I do say that uh, with the job that we do, we uh, we have sometimes that uh, we have some very very short nights of uh, only a few minutes, but. We're doing it to help protect our customer, right? And and at CrowdStrike, we stop breaches. So we always want to be there for our customer. And if it means that I got to have one sleepless night to help uh, a hospital stay safe, it'll be worth it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. I love the whole idea of taking that security first approach and uh, just making sure that, you know, you're being diligent and making sure that you're protecting and educating. So thank you. It's good to know that heroes can exist, even in the darkest corners of the internet. And that in a way, we could all be our own kind of hacktivist hero if we wanted. Sure, our role in the cybersecurity space definitely doesn't feel as cool as someone like Stefan's, but it's clear that every little bit counts. Tech leaders have an exciting opportunity to throw on a cape and supersuit and not only protect their organizations, but in turn be a part of the network of cyber heroes that are protecting the world. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Catalyst. 
If you liked what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star rating, or do us a favor by sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. The Catalyst by SoftChoice is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SoftChoice. Our producers are Tobin Dalrymple and Katie Lohr. Our associate producer is Jessica Schmidt with production assistance from Nicole Francis. I'm Erica Van Nort. Talk to you again in two weeks. This episode of The Catalyst has been brought to you by SoftChoice Now 2021. Get full access now. Visit softchoice.com forward slash now.